WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. Decision time for Mitch Daniels. Will he run? John Gregg for governor. A controversial ruling from the Indiana Supreme Court and a confrontation at the Deaf School. That plus turning circles in Carmel and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending May 20, 2011. Ice Miller, proud to support Indiana Week in Review. The path to a successful business has unexpected twists and turns. The legal professionals at Ice Miller are dedicated to guiding businesses along the journey. Experience takes businesses to the top. Ice Miller can help them stay there. Ice Miller, it's a complex world. Be advised. This week, Mitch Daniels is close to a decision on a run for the White House, and he is now talking about how he would approach the campaign. Daniels revealed that he hears from potential volunteers in Iowa and New Hampshire every day. After a speech to a service club in Cherubusco, Daniels told reporters that he is collecting those names, but the governor still wouldn't say if he is leaning one way or another regarding his future plans. As for how his family is conducting its deliberations, he said, quote, that's kind of between us. But what about that list of names? About a day goes by, we don't hear from people and, um, who uh, have advice for us and say they'd like to be part of it if we if we go. If it's yes, then we'll want everybody's help, and if it's no, then I owe them an answer and an explanation. Will Daniels take the plunge? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Dan Parker, Republican Mike McDaniel. Leslie Weidenbenner, State House Bureau Chief for the Louisville Courier-Journal, and John Ketzenberger, President of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Wish TV State House reporter Jim Schiller. Dan Parker, does he sound more like a candidate every day? Sure, <laughs> but he's going to eventually need to say what he's doing, and obviously he's leaning towards doing it, or he wouldn't be talking about some of the things that he's been talking about lately, about you know the primary schedule and, and uh, where he would be able to compete. He's getting a lot of pressure in the national media. Is he getting pressure from Republicans? Uh, sure. Uh, there are a lot of people who are eager for him to get into this race, uh, including me. I hope he does. I think he'd be a great president. I do think he could get the nomination, uh, and that's key. He wouldn't get in it if he didn't think he could win. Uh, and uh, he sure sounds like a candidate. Uh, when he starts talking about how you campaign differently in the early states versus the middle states versus the late states, Obviously, he's given us a lot of thought, and uh, I, for one, am excited about that because he is giving it so much thought. He's also talking about topics like the national debt, things that, you know, in a speech to the South Bend Chamber of Commerce, he's talking about the national debt. That's not something he would have been doing a few months ago. No, but although he never has shied away from talking about how he thinks the country is headed in the wrong direction, I mean, I think we could all agree that if the governor could just go to Washington and do this job and come home, I mean, he would be in. 
the, I think the real question for him is, does he want to live with Secret Service protection for the rest of his life? Does he want his family to have to deal with the scrutiny, the security, all of the issues um, that they would have to go through? And, uh, and does he want to spend potentially the next 10 years, two years running, four years, possibly a second four years, um, away from his family? So you say he hasn't made up his mind yet? I think there's still a possibility he might say no. He, he certainly, every time he, he discusses these things, even though he talks about possibilities and, and potential plans, first of all, he hasn't put any apparatus together, and right. secondly, he always leaves the door open to, a, to a, a possible no. You do not want to play cards against Governor Daniels because you'll lose. I mean, it's in, almost impossible to read. I think Dan's absolutely right. I think Mike's right. He's saying things that you would have to say and make you think that he's looking forward, and I agree with that. But at the same time, Leslie's right on the money. He's got a real dilemma in his mind. It's whether he wants to subject his family and himself to the next, you know, to the process, or does he want to answer what he feels is a call to service, uh, and he thinks he's a, a person that can do that for his party. And so that's a real dilemma, a real struggle for him. And I think that he really hasn't reached the go, no go yet. He's probably moving closer to the go. I mean, eventually he has to make a decision because you hit a subject that's very important. He has no apparatus. He hasn't been traveling the country. He hasn't been putting the infrastructure together that uh, all these other candidates have been doing. And look, for the first time in his life, he's going to be attacked by fellow Republicans. His, his record is going to come is. under tremendous scrutiny, not just from our side of the aisle, but from his own. In the meantime, the Indiana Democratic Party this week's been, been pounded on and pretty good on the Internet. You don't want him on the ballot in 2012. Right. Well, I don't think he's going to be on the ballot. He'll be on the primary ballot, but I don't think he'll be on the general election ballot. But, but you don't want that to happen, right? Well, I'd like to see Barack Obama beat him real good. <laughs> okay. But he, the chances that Barack Obama would beat Mitch Daniels in Indiana aren't all that rosy. Well, um, that's yet to be seen, but um, he has to get the nomination first. Okay. And I, I think he will get that nomination if he gets in it. And I, I, I think that... Uh, and part of that reason is because the field around him is starting to implode. And I think he's looking at that and he's saying, look, I can win this thing. And uh, and he will win it. If he gets in it, he's going to be the nominee. I am Michael, absolutely, his record on I the am debt, absolutely convinced that if he's in it, he will be the nominee. His record on the debt is going to be attacked by, by look, fellow Republicans. He started, Dan, the, he started Dan, this thing Dan, when he was OMB director. Dan, save he that raised stuff, taxes. Save that stuff for the fall I mean, because you're, you're, you're going to be... I mean, you're going to be the saddest you don't think guy that Mitt in Indiana. Romney's sitting there licking his chops you're going to be okay, the saddest guy, guy in Indiana guy, because he is going to beat you like a borrowed mule in the state, and you know it. It's going to be interesting if it happens. Time now for viewer feedback. Each week, we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question is, would you vote for Mitch Daniels for president? Your choices are A, yes, B, it depends on the choices available, or C, never. Last week's question was, Joe Donnelly would do better against which Republican? 5% said Richard Luger, 75% said Richard Murdoch, 20% said it doesn't matter. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to WFYI.org slash IWIR and look for the poll. John Gregg, the former Speaker of the Indiana House, kicked off a campaign for governor this week. We're going to give her a shot. John Gregg is a conservative Democrat who says he will run a middle-of-the-road campaign. 
He told supporters at this Northside Farmer's Market that it will be a fun race. It's going to be filled with optimism, and it's going to be a happy campaign, because a happy campaign's a winning campaign. In what's become a trend for politicians in 2011, Greg kicked off the race with an Internet video, a message to voters where he also played up the positive. They want a leader who will bring us together, not divides us. They want a leader who delivers results, not excuses. Yeah, Mike McDaniel, is, is he trying to run as the anti-politician? If he does, it's going to be a failed attempt because John Gray can run about anything, but he can't say he's, a, he's not a politician. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is that and then some. So, uh, no, you know, he, he's going to try to be different. He's got to try to distinguish himself. Uh, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I think he's a formidable candidate, uh, but uh, he's got his work cut out for him. Mike Pence is going to be a very tough competitor. Uh, and uh, he knows how to raise money, he knows how to communicate, and uh, that's going to be tough for John because a lot of people are going to want to be, be involved in this campaign from top to bottom, and that's going to be difficult for the Democrats to win that back this time around. I pose the anti-politician question because we all know that politics is all about imagery, image-making, and he, he, he did this video where he's sitting in a porch swing, um, you know, without a coat and tie, uh, he's got the dark glasses. He's got he's the mustache that you don't usually see on a statewide candidate. I mean, he's he's a different sort of candidate. <laughs> well, I think first first of all, uh, or is he w- just a consultant's nightmare? Thing. Sorry, John. Uh, he he. Um, I mean, John is different. I mean, we all know him. Uh, he, he, when he was speaker, you never knew it was going to come out of his mouth. Um, but, you know, he hasn't been on the ballot for 10 years. He hasn't been at the mm-hmm. Statehouse for 10 years. Uh, and I think that right from the get-go, I think he's creating a, a, a contrast with, you know, the slick, you know, congressman from, from Washington, Mike Pence. Uh, you know, Mike is – I agree with, you know what, almost everything that Mike just said. He's, Mike Pence is a good communicator, um, you know. I don't know what he's done as a congressman in Washington other than, uh, you know, propaganda. But, you know, John Gregg has created a contrast, and I think his style uh, will be the basis of his campaign. So the Republicans jumped on John Gregg immediately, pointing out that he's a registered lobbyist, uh, an issue that the Democrats tried to use against Dan Coates. That worked Coates. so well against yeah, Dan Coates. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so did, That's Senator Coates to yeah, you, Bob. Yeah. Did that, did that experience take this issue off the table, or are the Democrats engaged in hypocrisy here by running a lobbyist for governor? Or are the Republicans engaged in hypocrisy by attacking him for it? I mean... You know that that that. I want to know what seen. Mike's answer is on this. <laughs> <laughs> You're I'm looking after forward the show. to the show. Actually, no, I'm looking forward no, to I, it. I think I think that uh, <laughs> what you see is is an attempt to you know early uh, early define or redefine however you want to put it, and I think the proof will be in the result. Uh, so I think you have an example with Dan Coates of success despite that label, and I think uh, John Gregg, uh, if he succeeds, will put it to rest. For good. It's looking like John Gregg's going to be the only Democrat in the race, but will the party unify behind him? I think absolutely. I mean, he is going to be a strong candidate. Um, he may be too conservative for some members of the party. Um, he may be a little bit of a wild card for others because you don't ever know what he's going to say. But I do think he's going to be a strong candidate. He's a smart guy. He's very personable. People who know him like him. And so I, I think he's going to be strong. And in the end, that's what Democrats want is a good candidate.
your thoughts on the lobbyist well, question? I mean, he is a registered lobbyist, and, and I love the answer. But he hasn't been hanging around I the I love the house. answer that he hadn't been there but twice in 10 years or whatever the line was. <laughs> well, you know, if he's smart and learned anything from the campaign that Dan Parker and company ran trying to slime Dan Coates, uh, you know, he ought to just disclose right now what clients he's brought to the firm that they do lobby for. Has he ever made a phone call to a government employee? Has he ever made a phone call to a legislator? You don't have to be in the state house to lobby the legislature. Yeah, and I love the fact that they passed Dan, this off. Dan Coates disclosed they, all I love that. they passed this <laughs> off that he hasn't done any of this stuff. Well, then why are they paying him to be a registered lobbyist at his law firm if he hadn't done any of this We've stuff? We've gone down the rabbit let's, hole. Let's get, no, let's, no, what I'm saying is, John, because if you're listening, cause, cause, learn, learn your lesson and get it all out there right now and Jim, get it over with. Jim, your question was, did this? Did the Dan Coates brace put this to rest? And I think, frankly, it did. I mean, that was not a big issue in that race. It's really, I mean, it, I they, mean they tried to make million, it. A, or thousands they did. Of dollars I'm saying to slime it didn't. Members. I don't think it, it didn't worked. Work. It, it didn't, didn't work. That's what I meant to say. You, it didn't work. You think and it I don't think it's John no, no, I don't think it's a big right. deal. But my point is, because they did it, he can learn from this and get it out of the way if he knows how to play it. But if not, it'll linger. So will there be disclosure? Well, that's a question for John, but to answer your question, Dan Coates didn't do any of that, okay? Uh, and the year <laughs> took care of that question. Um, oh, the year know, did. 2010. The, 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 the fact is, is that John Gregg left the legislature, became president of Vincennes University. This is not any anything <laughs> even remotely close to the Dan Coates case. As Rex says, there's hypocrisy and there's hypocrisy, and you're the king of hypocrisy. That's a compliment coming from you. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. The Indiana Supreme Court is the target of threats following a controversial ruling. The opinion came in a Vanderburg County domestic dispute case. A husband tried to keep the cops out of their apartment after his wife called 911. In a 3-2 ruling, the court said, We hold that there is no right to reasonably resist unlawful entries by police officers. It projects concern for Hoosiers out there that may be victims of crime or potential victims of crime. That's Carrie Bloomquist, an attorney who assists domestic violence victims. John Ketzenberger, will that ruling lead to house-to-house -house searches by police? You know, it's not very likely, but it's possible. And I think that that's what's got a lot of people troubled about this ruling, is it really extends the Fourth Amendment uh, on its standard on its ear. Uh, today, the Attorney General said that he's joining, if there's another Greg, Zill, Greg Zeller, who won this ruling. Who won the ruling, said if there's a petition by the guy who lost, by Barnes, to for a rehearing on this, he'll join that because he wants to see it. He still wants to win the case, of course, but he wants to see it be a narrow interpretation so that it's just domestic violence cases, not just broadly, because this, this ruling broadly opens it up so that if police want to come in your house, according to this ruling, they can. I disagree. I don't think that's what the ruling said. The ruling doesn't say that it's legal for police to come into your house in any situation that it wasn't legal before. It says you don't have um, a right to fight them or to stop them from coming in. But it doesn't make that search legal. It doesn't say, well, police used to be able to only come into your house under these circumstances. Now can they can just come into your house any time they want. It's still wrong for them to come into their, the house under those circumstances. But if you read the decision, the justices were very concerned about the escalation that can happen when someone tries to resist, particularly in a situation where the police officers believe that they are doing the right thing. I think that your, your, your interpretation is reasonable on this, but I think it's much more plain than that. When you read that sentence, uh, it says it is not the law. And in, in Indiana, it does not 
apply anymore. It, to, to stop the police. It doesn't say that that's, that makes that search legal. You have other remedies. It just, it just aims to prevent an escalation of sort of a, a violent or situation um, when the police believe they are coming in in a legal situation. But the question is wide open right now. All right. In the meantime, it, it's led to a lot of broader discussion. I mean, this was, this was a, a, a ruling that was written by Stephen David, a recent appointee of, of Mitch Daniels, and some people are looking at that and saying, is this uh, a lesson for the type of people he might appoint to the U.S. Supreme Court if he becomes president? <laughs> oh, that's a little bit of a stretch. I mean, this was a 3-2 vote. Uh, and, Mike, that uh, didn't come from our side. That was a 3-2 vote. I think Frank vote. Sullivan signed on to it, right? He did, yes. he did. It was a 3-2 vote, and Justice Sullivan was one of the people who voted for it. This has set off a firestorm internally in the legislature. You are going to see this, regardless of the outcome, uh, discussed in detail in the next session of legislature. You're going to find legislative remedies going out of their way to try to figure out a way to get around this. This is a very broad interpretation, and a lot of people are very upset about it. So if the court doesn't change it, the legislature will, is what you're Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. Okay. In the meantime... Um, you're kind of fond of the, the Indiana Supreme Court uh, today because if we move on to another case, um, they ruled in favor of the Indiana Democratic Party in the Charlie White case um, and instructed the, the State Recount Commission to get Go going. Forward. Yeah, hold a hearing on June 21st and, and come up with a ruling. Um, do you think that the Recount Commission will settle the White matter before the criminal courts do? Well, they're set up for, the, for the, the dates that they've already set forth, according to uh, the commission chairman, Tom Wheeler, that by June 30th, um, they'll have a decision. Um, you know, the practical effect of the Supreme Court ruling today was just to eliminate all the other appeals that Charlie White uh, himself has, has, has put forward. So um, we're all looking forward to put this matter behind us. And do you think the recount commission will see things your way? Well, which, the which means remove him from office. Well, well right. the recount commission has to decide, was he legally registered to vote on July 15th? And the answer to that was he's, he wasn't. Well, that's your answer. If that's their answer. If that's their answer, then he will be removed from office. Um, how big a, a ruling is this? Uh, considerably. I think they were looking for guidance from the Supreme Court as to the, a narrower interpretation of what the law actually means. And they didn't get that guidance. And so now they're going to have to decide. And I, Tom Wheeler is a no-nonsense guy. He's the right guy to be Chairman doing of the this. Recount Commission. He's the right guy to be doing this. I look for him to render a decision by their timeline the end of June. Well, that was the point in the, in the ruling today by the court was that there has been no decision made, and so you can't appeal until there's a decision. So once the, the commission uh, does its, makes its decision, then you might have you know, basis for mm -hmm. a higher court appeal. And they, they said, we won't entertain any more appeals until, until after there's a decision. Right. But that suggests that they, they will entertain appeals afterwards. So. Certainly. I mean, that, that is the course of business, that those decisions can be appealed. But I think what the Supreme Court was saying was get to it. Mm -hmm. Get this thing going. That's right. Moving on, there is controversy this week at the Indiana School for the Deaf. The Indiana School for the Deaf teaches both English and American Sign Language. But some parents of deaf students believe there is an effort to phase out American Sign Language here. We're trying to deal with people who already know 
that they're going to try to do everything that they can to remove the American Sign Language from the school. Mitch Daniels appointed four new board members on April 15th. Only one of them is deaf. They attended their first board meeting last week. Please forgive me that we want to throw you out. And a group of parents were there to confront them. There are seven board members in all and only one is deaf. The angry parents later posted this video on YouTube and on a website for the Indiana Association of the Deaf. You cannot possibly understand our viewpoint. We are Leslie Weidenbender, are these parents jumping the gun? I don't really think so because what they're doing is they're calling attention to the situation. Now I think that whatever decisions the board makes will be made under a little more scrutiny and I think that's what the, these parents really wanted. I mean in their best case scenario maybe these folks would not have been appointed but now people will be watching what they do. Okay, but they're assuming that, that the members of the board are, are going to change the culture, they're going to change the approach at the deaf school with no real, yeah, I mean, these people all come from backgrounds. There are a couple of them are parents who have, have mainstreamed their kids. So right. it's there are four new board members. Three of them have a, a more mainstreaming background. One is a pr practitioner and an instructor in an ASL. Uh, but, you know, I think Leslie's absolutely right about the attention that this brings to it. But I think to presume that they've already got their minds made up is not fair to the people who've been appointed to the board. Mitch Daniels is trying to change public schools. He's trying to bring about change at the deaf school, and it's basically the same reaction. Well, uh, you know, I, I agree with John on this one. I mean, it's not fair to these folks who just got appointed. Um, I, like I said, I mean, there's a lot of things I can, I, you can. You can be critical of some of the public school reform efforts, whether they're going to work or not. I think on this particular case, let's give these folks a chance. I concur. Uh, it's silly to think that there's some kind of preconceived notion about where he wants to go with this. These people have attended one meeting. <laughs> the, new, the new board the new members board attended one meeting. Where, and you saw some video of it there. They give were them a chance. They were confronted by people demanding give that they resign. I, mean, I think this is funny because this is an issue clearly that none of us understand all that no. well. We, we don't have a really clear, we don't have, um, uh, we don't have reasons to care deeply on one side, I think, or the other of this issue. Um, because these two Do you really would think be, that they have a preconceived idea of where they're going with this? In other situations involving political appointments about things that people being appointed to boards right. that would be making decisions about, um, I don't know, elections the, or the whatever, would already <laughs> be, look, would be looking in their background and saying, well, this is bad because they're going to be doing this. I mean, look well, what we do with Supreme Court It would cases. be one thing these if they pointed out care. certain things in these folks' background that were troubling or whatnot. And... They're just raising concerns about their issues. I mean, that's what they have the right to do. Moving on, Indiana Senator Dan Coates says he's seen photos showing Osama bin Laden's body after he was killed in an American raid and believes President Barack Obama made the correct decision withholding the re release of those photos. Coates viewed the photos at CIA headquarters and says they are, quote, very graphic and could easily provoke sharp reactions in the Muslim world. Senator Coates says he had no doubts the United States had killed bin Laden but felt obligated to look at the photos when the offer was made. Dan Parker praised for the president from Dan Coates. What do you make of that? Well, it's a good start. It'd be nice <laughs> if he took back his words about the auto restructuring, which has been successful, and uh, you know some of the other things that he was critical of the president that are turning out to be uh, the right decisions to make, like investing in Afghanistan and Pakistan, which led to this. <laughs> um, 
interesting that that Coates was one of the people who was invited to to view yeah, these photos. I, I, I think first of all, I think the president did make the right decision uh, on not issuing these photographs, and I think Dan Coates is a straight shooter, and uh, he said, "Look, you know, this is not the kind of thing that we want to inflame the the Arab community in particular, and uh, uh, it's just not something we want to do." And he's right to do this. And in case anybody thought Senator Coates was a closet Barack Obama supporter, yesterday he criticized the president uh, for what he said about Israel. I think you're going to mostly find that Dan Coates in general is not on the same page as the president. But it is always good to see that somebody is willing to stand up and say they think someone did the right thing when they feel like they did. It's not enough of that in politics. Well, that's probably true. And I think that it's right for the administration to offer this to people in positions of authority because it helps reassure the public about the question of whether or not Osama is dead. Finally, the International Conference on Roundabouts took place this week in Carmel. Roundabouts replaced traffic lights at 80% of the intersections there. Carmel's mayor says roundabouts can handle four to five times the amount of traffic in the same amount of time as the stoplight intersection can handle. Jim Brainerd says they improve the quality of life. We made a huge difference in the way our city looks and feels and the way people get around. Improves the quality of life. Mike McDonald, is that overstated? Not at all. Absolutely right. They're safer. They save money from people from gasoline. They keep the traffic moving. I mean, it's, it's all good. I mean, these are, these are a great idea, and it's working in that community. And, and you're going to see more and more communities all over Indiana and the country do exactly what they're doing in Carmel. We're seeing more of them in uh, Hendricks County There's some Johnson going up County, in County, Hancock County. County. Yeah. yeah. Um, Carmel's the capital of the world when it comes to roundabouts. <laughs> hey, it's good to be the capital of something. Well, We've had them here longer than anybody. That's it's right. called Monument Circle. Circle. Yeah, yeah. There's that. It's a huge roundabout. All I love them. You got all those dizzy drivers out there now. Survival of the baby. This this lead to bigger things for Jim Brainerd someday, or is he well, just going to be? Is he just going to be st- stuck in a roundabout? Oh. Uh, you set me up badly there, but I they are prettier. There's no doubt about it. They make for a much prettier place. That's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Dan Parker, Republican Mike McDaniel. Leslie Weidenbender of the Louisville Courier-Journal, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org slash podcast, or starting Monday, you can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity. Just go to Hoosier TV and look for Indiana Week in Review under News. I'm Jim Shella of Wish TV. We'll see you again next week. Miller, proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Things can go wrong in a thousand different ways. Businesses need a law firm that knows the thousand and first. The team of legal professionals at Ice Miller is committed to helping put the pieces back together. Ice Miller, it's a complex world. Be advised.